Sabbath meal at the ruler of a Pharisee's house. Uh, but it also says that that um, those who were there, this group of, of lawyers and Pharisees or scribes and Pharisees, were watching Jesus carefully. So this isn't just a friendly meal that Jesus has been invited to. This is sort of a scouting event. This is them uh, wanting to test Jesus and get a sense of what he's really like and suss him out. And at this point in the Gospel of Luke, it's undeniable that Jesus is drawing crowds, that he's healing people, that he's doing all sorts of messianic things. But he's also hanging out with all the wrong people and flouting the rules and doing all sorts of quote unquote unmessianic things, according to the scribes and the Pharisees. So they invite Jesus to this meal so they can get a better sense of, of what this would be Messiah is actually like. And I want to suggest that they're doing so not so much to determine whether or not they believe Jesus truly is the Messiah. I think they've already made the decision that he is not. But instead, they're having him over because they want a closer look in order to disprove that he isn't actually the Messiah. So this isn't a meal with sincere seekers. This is more um, disingenuous than that. And at this meal, a familiar scene unfolds that I think proves all of this. A man with dropsy, which is a swelling of the soft tissue, enters, and Jesus asks the scribes and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Should I do this thing? Is this the right thing to do? I know that it's contrary to your interpretation of the law, but is it wrong to do this? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent, the passage says. This is Luke chapter 4, or 14, verse 4. Then Jesus took the man and healed him, sent him away, and then he said to the scribes and the Pharisees, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. They remained silent still. What I think this interaction shows us is the unwillingness of the scribes and the Pharisees to recognize the kingdom of God in their midst and the Messiah who is before them. And instead, all they seem interested in is trying to uphold the status quo and follow their traditions and maintain their own social and religious power. Which is why Jesus tells a parable in verses 7 to 11 of Luke 14 about willing to humble themselves and not, and not just jockey for position and power and status. And then he goes on, as our passage today says, and he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. First, Jesus gives a parable in this chapter about jockeying for position and status and now he reinforces that by telling them not to be concerned with ladder climbing and using other people to further their own position and their own social standing. And I think what's going on here is that these scribes and Pharisees are trying to pretend as though the kingdom of God are the things that matter most to them. But when Jesus gives them an opportunity to celebrate the work of God in their midst with the healing of this man who suffered from dropsy, they can't bring themselves around to celebrating it because they're not actually primarily interested in God and his kingdom and his Messiah. 
They're primarily interested in their own power and, and maintaining the status quo. And then one of them tries to deny it by saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. No, 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 he's saying, don't think that this is just about social climbing and our own personal power. We're about the kingdom of God. Let me prove it to you by this pious declaration. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the thing that matters to us, I think he's trying to say. To which Jesus replies with the parable of the great banquet. And so we'll just go through it together today. He begins by saying a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And I'm interpreting it here as the man here referring to God. The great banquet referring to God's kingdom. And the many whom God invited are the people of Israel who entered into covenant with God and received his blessing in order to participate in the extending of that blessing to all the families of the earth, thinking of Genesis 12. So they accepted the invitation to the banquet and entered into a covenant with God with the desire to extend God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. That was the promise that they entered into. And then Jesus goes on and says, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. The servant, I think in this context is the Messiah. And the Messiah has arrived to say the kingdom of God is at hand. Those are some of Jesus's first words in the Gospel of Luke. The kingdom of God is at hand. Come, let's work together in the extension of God's kingdom. Let's do that thing that we have been planning and preparing for and working towards for generations. But they all began to make excuses in the parable, Jesus says. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go and, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Don't even excuse me, just I cannot come. They all said that they would attend the banquet. They all RSVP'd, so to speak. They all said that they were all about the kingdom of God and its extension to all the families of the earth. That was the covenant that they entered into with God. But when the time actually arrives, they all make excuses for not participating. And the excuses that Jesus lists here range from foolish to offensive. A person would never buy a field without seeing it first. That would just never happen. He would always go and examine it first. Always go and inspect it first. A farmer would never buy five oxen without first examining them and making sure that they pull and slow together. These are absurd excuses. They're ridiculous. And then the third excuse is not only absurd, but it's offensive as well. It's crass. The third person is essentially saying that he's too busy with his, his wife, with all the innuendo that that implies to attend the banquet. So these excuses range from absurd to offensive, and Jesus is saying that the scribes and the Pharisees' refusal to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah and the inbreaking of God's kingdom in his actions, like healing a man with dropsy right in front of them, is absurd, and it's offensive, it's foolish, it's ridiculous. And so the servant came and reported these things to the master. Jesus goes on in the parable. 
The master of the house became angry and said to a servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there's room. So the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The master is understandably angered by the absurd and offensive excuses that have been made, but his anger is translated into grace as he refuses to allow their unwillingness to participate in his kingdom to thwart the work of his kingdom. His kingdom is still going to extend to all the families of the earth. And so the Messiah goes on and invites all those whom the scribes and the Pharisees see as unworthy around them, the poor, the, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But still there's room in the kingdom of God. Still there's more grace for God to extend. And so the Messiah goes out and brings in those who are far off along the highways and the hedges. The image here, I think, is all the families of the earth. It's the Gentiles now who are invited to come in come in and enjoy the great banquet of the kingdom of God. Ultimately, what this parable is, I think, is it's, a, it's, it's the story of Scripture in a nutshell. It's a story of what God has been doing and is doing and will continue to do. And through this parable, Jesus is saying that regardless of whether or not these scribes and Pharisees decide that Jesus is the Messiah, he is, he is the Messiah. And he is getting on with the work of the kingdom of God with or without them. The choice is theirs, ultimately, by the end of this parable. Either you're going to join him in participating in the extension of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth, which was their calling all along, or they're going to play political games and cling to their own flimsy and foolish excuses and remain outside the great banquet of God. Ultimately, Jesus is telling them, stop being fools. Recognize the Messiah and the kingdom of God in your midst before it's too late. Now, this is a, a historical reading of the parable, thinking about how it sort of played out over time. And I, I think it's, it's what Jesus was referring to, to these specific people at those time. Uh, and in this reading of the parable, most of us, of course, are this latter group, the Gentiles, those along the highways and the hedges who have been brought in last. But I think that we can also read this parable in a slightly different way today and see ourselves in the various characters that Jesus describes in this parable. And so we have to ask ourselves, who am I in this parable? Who do I see myself in as I hear it? Am I one of the religious people who is finding an excuse not to participate in the kingdom of God? God has called me and empowered me to participate in his kingdom, but I'm finding all sorts of excuses not to do it. Finding pious reasons not to care for those around me and invite them into the banquet. Am I viewing some as worthy, some as unworthy? Am I so focused on insular little meals together and jockeying for position that I'm blind to reaching out and caring for those around me? 
Maybe you see yourself in the marginalized that Jesus refers to in this parable, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame that Jesus speaks of. Are you someone who's able to recognize your own frailty and your own brokenness and your own need for the Messiah? I think all of us need to see ourselves in that group, desperately in need of Jesus, in need of the salvation that only he can offer. Maybe you see yourself in the people along the highways and the hedges who need to be compelled to come to the banquet. When Jesus says, compel them to come in, he's not saying force them to come in against their will. This this passage has been used throughout history um, in all sorts of awful ways, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Don't compel them against their will. He's not talking about that. He's saying, go to these people who don't believe that they're worthy to enter the banquet. Those who believe that the invitation to the banquet itself is some sort of cruel joke. God couldn't possibly want me there. Go to them and convince them, compel them that God wants them at his banquet, that they're worthy, that they're valued, that they are loved by God. Convince them that God wants them at his table. Do you see yourself in those people, perhaps? Have you ever had a hard time believing that God could truly love someone like you? If that's the case, then this parable is telling you not to accept that false view of yourself, that God desires. He compels you with everything that he has. He compels you to come to his banquet because he loves you. Who do you see yourself in as you contemplate this parable? And how is the Lord speaking to you today? Let's just take a minute to quiet ourselves before God and listen to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.